Hello, and welcome to the Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and I moved apartments this week, so I'm a little frazzled. That's my personal news for the cold open. Luke, do you have anything that you want to share? I don't have personal news. It's been a it's been a busy week. For Why news is your is your country fine? You guys? Uh, I don't know. It's not been fine for a while. No. And it, anyway, if, if if before you ask, the mood of the internet for me this week, I would say febrile. It's been very hold on. febrile. First of all, you've used that word before. I think at least twice. And second, let's get into the episode. This week, we're talking about a whole bunch of different stuff, and I'm not going to ask you, Luke, how the internet is this week, because I don't care, because we're going to be talking about something more important than the internet, which is the companies that run the internet. We're going to kick things off this week with just uh, the real bad state of social platforms, and we're going to try to hide our glee, I think, at the idea that these massive monopolies are faltering. So where do you want to start? You want to start with the... Google's bad earnings report, or do you want to start with the fact that nobody's on Twitter anymore? I think Google. I'm, I, I feel like that's kind of us taking a victory lap, so we should do that first. You said this. What is our victory lap? Because I don't remember what we say in this show. So what is the victory lap that we're taking right now? We said that the ad market was in crisis and was about to go very, very bad for everyone. Oh, that was a recent episode. That was like a couple yeah. weeks ago. Okay, yeah. so, so, talk, so talk to me. So how does that connect with what's going on with YouTube right now? With Google? Sure, yeah. Google's earnings are really badly down. Yeah, okay. Act like earnings, we're on a podcast okay, 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 and you're okay, telling okay, a story so, okay, to our okay, listeners. So, so let me let me explain. Let me explain. This. So, Google makes money. You buy you use that to buy things like, you know, a lemonade or a new car or whatever you're buying. Lemonade? Yeah. <laughs> I Google lemonade all the time. Okay, sure. No, 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 my god. You what? use the money to buy things. Okay. So, Google essentially makes a a huge chunk of its money from advertising. The advertising market's going down, so Google makes less money. Yeah. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. And so we predicted that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. So this is just a victory lap. There's not a lot to say about it, but yeah. Well, wait, this is the time where I, as a producer, have to jump in and say, you have to say more about it than that. <laughs> there has to be more. In fact, I was going to say, I was okay. going to say the okay. importance here, the importance here, as far as I'm concerned, is that for the first time since earnings have ever been released about YouTube in particular, is that YouTube's revenue has gone down. That's the first time it's ever happened. It is, it is. And it, it speaks to a large kind of problem at Alphabet. Alphabet and all, all its subsidiary companies have not done well. There are some that have done well, some that have done badly, but as a whole, they've done badly. And, and on average, they've done badly. YouTube being a key part of that to do badly. We spoke about this a few weeks ago, which is why I kind of don't want to go into it in too much depth. But broadly speaking, a bunch of factors have colliding, including a bit of overspending in, during the pandemic, an overall recession that seems to be coming or, or, or kicking off and advertising often the first part of that and a attack on the duopoly of Facebook and Google, which means that they're both their earnings going down because advertisers are now funding other routes to market. TikTok being one example, but there are others as well. So what that means is that, yeah, it's a suggestion that something bad is coming to the, for the economy as a whole, and it's specifically affecting tech companies built largely on advertising. Yeah, it is, uh, it is interesting always to reflect on exactly how much large social platforms are simply just very boring advertising based businesses. They're just essentially the same thing you would have had in a magazine or a newspaper 25 years ago. 
but they're just doing it on a, an absolutely unbelievable scale. But ultimately, that's that's the real way that you know YouTube in particular makes money, uh, and it's largely the way that Google makes money. It's definitely the way Facebook makes money. And so without that, things are going to look pretty grim. In fact, they're going to look so grim that soon, I think many platforms will start to resemble the way Twitter has apparently looked since 2020. So uh, did you read this Reuters report on the current state of Twitter? I did. I did. It is it is pretty wild. Would you say you were surprised by it? I, uh, I went back into my archives, actually, to see exactly when I started to write in Garbage Day that Twitter was dying. And it was December 2nd, 2020. So I do feel uh, like I was I'm going to take a victory lap personally for that. If you don't know what we're talking about, there was an exclusive to Reuters that was released that basically showed that it is hemorrhaging its most active users, and it defines most active users as a really depressing thing, which is people who log in uh, six to seven times a week and tweet three times a week. So that definitely includes me and Luke. I mean, yeah, um, for context, I've logged in six or seven times during the recording of this podcast so far. I'm on it. I'm on Twitter through the entirety of our recording. And oftentimes I right. get distracted when I see something more interesting than whatever Luke's saying. So I mean, we both do that. I think this definition is actually really important though because i can't imagine that i'm a very valuable twitter user like i don't click on ads that much i'm not like contributing money to anything like overall obviously twitter as a whole has taken a lot more from me than i've put into it <laughs> but but me financially too. financially i'm probably about even <laughs> yeah and i and i think what, what we're really talking about here is actually not us because we are probably they, they call it heavy users we are probably heavy heavy users and what they're really talking about here is, is it's kind of like the the, the casuals, you might say. <laughs> it's the people kind of just outside of that who are just, yeah, general users, but a little bit more heavy than, than the average person. And it's those that are declining. They're going away. And they've been declining since the pandemic, which is also, I think, important here. Because I think largely a lot of, particularly the media coverage around Twitter has been saying that, oh, Twitter is being impacted by Elon Musk's shenanigans or whatever it is. This has actually got nothing to do with him. This is just... The site is not healthy. It hasn't been since basically March 2020. Well, I do think there's additional context to this, though, which is that the real boom for Twitter, the boom time for Twitter was the Trump presidency. Obviously, Twitter has users outside the US, but it's, it's, it's very strong in the US and it's very strong among kind of news junkies. So whether or not you're pro or anti-Trump, that four-year period was big, as was the pandemic until probably in the middle of last year probably and i think people started to kind of drift away so we have gone through a five-year period where everyone really really cares about news and people are slowly starting to care about news just a little bit less and i think that that's probably has an influence as well for sure because i think it's that exact person who was checking twitter multiple times a day being like good god this is awful i can't believe how crazy this is this is awful and then kind of it stopped being quite so awful and they drifted from you know, checking it six or seven times a day to two or three times a week. Right. And I think those are the users that are using, and those are probably a very big group who are therefore, in aggregate, a big financial contributor to the platform. There were a lot of podcast producers who really were convinced they could post a certain amount of content to save our democracy. And uh, a lot of people believed them and then they all kind of went away, which is very funny. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think one element interesting of this story, which I think suggest there is maybe something bigger going on here is the interest in sports on twitter has gone down which i find really interesting i'm glad you brought this up so sports has gone way down and crypto and pornography have gone way up which is always a sign of a healthy social network 
if you log on to a social You'll network... You'll never go bust betting on pornography. You may go bust betting on crypto. No, but this is true, though. This is true. Most of the time when a site starts to degrade, you start to see a, a, a heavier presence of not safe for work content. And that's not to say that like sex workers are some kind of scourge that has to be eliminated from the internet. But if you look back, I always sort of think of the last days of MySpace when I need a, a mental framework for what it looks like when a website is dying. And like, I remember one time I logged into my personal MySpace and you remember how like MySpace had like the comment board on your page where someone could like leave a comment on your page. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mine in the, the week or two I had not checked it because at that point it was like 2008 and I didn't really care anymore. I was already on Tumblr, but I logged in one day and it was just full of like pornography, like people advertising cam sites and spam comments from like guys selling weed. It had just, it had just filled up with like essentially crypto scams and porn. It's like, it's the exact right. sort of thing that's happening to Twitter right now. It was like six or seven years ago when every Facebook comment on every article you wrote, like half of them were make $10,000 from home using this one easy trick exactly exactly all those people are now crypto people yeah of course they're of course those people are crypto people although did you hear bitcoin rallied luke it's above twenty thousand. this is the time to buy in this is the time to buy in luke no i and i i think you can feel it you can feel when a website like twitter gets smaller and at first it's it's not really perceptible and then it starts to become like overwhelming and now I look at my feed and it's, uh, I have the, uh, there's no algorithmic feed turned on for me. So like I'm looking at chronological tweets and I'm going to say over the last year, my Twitter feed and mind you, just for point of reference here, I currently follow 2,500 people. I'm, I'm going to bet I see tweets from 200 people at this point. Yeah. And it's the same 200 people all goddamn day. And they need, they need help. Like they all need, I, I need help and they definitely need help. Yeah, that's true. I actually had a similar problem the other week where I was kind of like, man, I am seeing the same stuff every day. I'm opening up Twitter and I'm obviously still using it because I'm addicted, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm, I was mm -hmm. seeing the same, I was seeing the same people and I was like, I've seen this conversation before, not this literal conversation, but this conversation happened two weeks previously. And I know what everyone's going to say before they say, I'm like, okay, what I'm going to do is going to do what I used to do, which is I'm going to go follow a bunch of random people. And I'm going to really mess up my feed for a while. And it's going to be like absolute chaos. And I forgot I, you do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just like, I just try and mess it up and just be like in interesting ways. And then, you know, I probably unfollow a bunch of people from it, but I find some new people. And I tried to do it the other week and I just ended up with just, it was basically entirely either journalists or like extremely political people, people who were, had like lost their mind. I, I saw a huge amount of misinformation. I, I really filled out my misinformation tweet deck column. Like they had a lot of people's lap, but. My actual following, I was just like, I, I think I unfollowed everyone I followed because I was just like, all of you people are just more of the same. And I thought that, that was really interesting. Yeah, I was looking at a bunch of viral tweets the other day, and I'm always curious what the site's going to recommend beneath those viral tweets. And on three pretty big tweets was just a list of all the same tweets. Like they were all clearly just in a network together. I don't know. I, I think I think the problem with Twitter and, and it has been a problem for a while now is that we still treat it like it's this objective view of culture when in fact it's just as algorithmic, if not more so than YouTube or Facebook. We just don't think of it that way. It's really easily exploitable and we don't think of it as, a, as an exploited platform. But at the same time, Luke, have you ever noticed how hard McDonald's Sprite goes? It's like drinking TV static, for real. But but you can never find a, uh, a McDonald's ice cream machine that works. No, but as SpongeBob said, 
Krabby Patties or some shit. I don't fucking know. I'm, not, I'm 33 years old. I was too old for SpongeBob when it was on. Do you guys remember when that happened? When Twitter became like a real legit thing, not just like the internet? Because I feel like it was when CNN and other cable news networks started taking tweets as news. Like they would take random tweets and put them on screen. And it was in like 2007, 2008, because it was around like the Iran revolution and stuff like that. I remember I was in journalism school and it was like all of a sudden CNN and other places were citing tweets as though they were like verified information. Yeah, I think there was the 2007, the kind of the, the revolutions around that time were really interesting because people, news organizations then clearly were like, this is a source, but they viewed it as a source in exceptional circumstances. Mm-hmm. And then in a slightly later date, people kind of realize, oh, no, this is a source normally. And I think you're probably right. Hurricane Sandy time is about right. Though I will also point out that was it was not long after that that the British tabloids figured out they could get a story out of a tweet. And I think that's probably. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also think spread, that's the super spreader event. Also, Americans never cite it. So I always try to go to my way to bring this up. And, you know, Luke can back me up here. The utility of Twitter during the London riots I think in many ways elevated it and like the London riots, the Arab Spring, Occupy Wall Street and Hurricane Sandy all kind of happened within like a year and a half of each other, which is kind of wild. The London riots is a fascinating one because the London riots happened on BBM. Sure. But they were also using Twitter. People commented on them on Twitter. Oh, I see. Yeah. Like the the riots, were, it was the first major UK event that happened on Twitter, even though the people involved in it were on BBM. It was kind of the death knell of BBM, it was right. like the final hurrah of that network. I have to produce her again because I don't know what the London riots are, and I'm like a deep in the news news person, and I vaguely <laughs> understand what BBM is. Blackberry Messenger. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> BBM is BBM is yeah, Blackberry Messenger. The London riots happened in 2011 after the shooting of Mark Duggan in Tottenham, actually, and uh, yeah, and it lasted about five days, and it was a very strange, unpleasant period. But also, it represented like a real moment of anger from from the working class British people, essentially. That there was, yeah, I mean, I was in London at the time and I remember like hiding in a pub. Like it was a whole thing. Um, oh, wow. You hid in a pub, Luke? That's so unlike you. What a crazy it was, circumstance. It was, it was notoriously the only pub in Camden that was open. <laughs> yeah, what a crazy circumstance to have you hole up in a pub. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a weird moment. But basically, it was organized on BBM in. in BBM chats, which were encrypted at the time. I, I, I assume they stayed encrypted, just no one uses them anymore. But it was covered by kind of the London commentariat, which actually, if you ever want a really fun thing to do with a British columnist, search uh, <laughs> yeah. London riots and police. Yeah, because, no, yeah. sorry, London riots and army, because they all of the liberals today wanted to send the army in. A hilarious extent. But there's a there's a great scene in, uh, in one episode of No Reservations with Anthony Bourdain where he's talking about activists during the Arab Spring essentially using Twitter to call in airstrikes. So like on the ground, they would tweet with their location still in the metadata and then they would just wait for the like they would wait for airstrikes to follow. And so by at least 2011 to 2012, society was beginning to understand exactly how useful Twitter could be. And then it flips over into just absolute lunacy, as Luke said, once the tabloids started realizing that they can turn any random thought into content and that's what is exactly exploited by the russia's internet research agency about a year later because they start around 2014 if i recall but it's fine now because elon musk has bought it and is going to resolve all of the problems yeah yeah he's going to make the x app and that's that's all she wrote on that 
Yeah. Our conclusion is that, yeah, Twitter is not in a good place right now. And my final thing on it would be I keep the safe search thing off or safe search or safe not safe for work thing filter off on on my twitter because like i need photos from walls and things and i cannot click on a trending topic if my laptop's open because it will just be porn every single time and it's like uh i think a platform's broken sorry yeah last week no two weeks ago i was uh at a bar waiting to order and i opened up twitter just because that's what i do i just stare at twitter when i'm in public not talking to anyone and uh yeah, it was just a bunch of porn. It was just, and I was like, "That's not the normal porn I look at in public. This is different <laughs> porn." I was kind of pissed. I don't like honest. this porn. Don't judge me for this porn. Judge me for my other porn. No, I was like kind of mad. I was like, because I, I'm like you. I don't want to make stuff hidden on Twitter because, like, I kind of want to know what I'm looking at. Yeah. Also, now people are taking advantage of the not safe for work filter and putting dumb shit behind it that isn't not safe for work. So there's just it, they've effectively made it useless. Hey, Luke, who is Lord Miles Rutledge? <laughs> lord Miles Rutledge is, firstly, he's not a lord. He's not. He's not. But here's a, here's a guy who got famous during the Afghan, I don't know what we call, I don't know what we call it now, the, the US withdrawal from Afga uh, Afghanistan. Basically, it was an eventful time, and he decided that he was going to go out to Afghanistan and see what was happening there. He went out. Thing, events moved faster than I expected. I think it's safe mm. to say, with the benefit of hindsight. Oh, was he this guy? It's this guy, yeah. And he he basically kind of spent two or three days there. Publicly, he was never that nervous, but he got on a what's the name of it? The the, the people carrier plane C one thirty. Yes, he took. Yeah, yeah, I remember he like took a seat from someone who probably needed it. Well, he took a seat. Whether or not, I mean, there obviously were more people who needed it. Whether or not they would have got it is a different question because people weren't being allowed in the airport. But he took a seat and that someone else could have had. I see. Uh, well, he caught the attention of America last week when he tweeted a map of, I mean, hilariously, like literally where I am right now in Brooklyn. And he tweeted, checked out Brooklyn, felt more unsafe than Afghanistan by a mile. Then he tweeted, and truthfully, I think Afghanistan is a bad comparison because I feel safe there. Occasional bombing, sure. But the same happens in London. And uh, from what I can gather, he's just I like... Point, I should point out, in London, we have not had a bombing since 2005, so... Yeah, uh, there. I mean, I guess his whole deal is that he's an adventure YouTuber. His Twitter bio is so grim. It includes a picture of him labeled Taliban Takeover Afghanistan, another one labeled South Sudan, another one labeled Kazakhstan protests, and another one labeled Ukraine Invasion. And then his tagline is goofing off in the most dangerous nations, not lying like the mainstream media, genuine charity work. I need to stop real quick. The ability for horrible, posh British people to weaponize charity is like one of the most insidious, like I think under talked about things about British culture. That's true. There's like like that whole like lad Bible, like, you know, we have a lot of fun here, but like, let's do some good guys about mental health. No, 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 no male mental health it's always male mental health <laughs> it is always male mental health it is so fucking stupid male mental health is a serious thing lad bible using it for clicks is not that's what i'm talking about anyways so what was what's crazy is i started clicking around lord miles's youtube channel and realized that a bunch of similar youtubers were being recommended to me in my feed before i was aware of lord miles's uh have you heard of bald and bankrupt i have not 
So it's the same kind of thing. And I have come across a pocket of YouTube that is basically all just upper middle class British guys going to uh, states in various states of failure. Oh, hold up. No, I know this guy. Yes, no, I have seen this guy. I think we've spoken about him before. Uh, have we been on that long that we're now? Okay, well. No, no, no. But, you know, he is. he does the exact same thing where he is just going to, like, weird areas but as a result of most weird areas looking roughly the same is all a lot of him standing in in planes it's a plane in russia it's a plane in belarus it's a plane in 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 africa but it's just it's just a flat land behind him right so i i i was recommended his video his most recent video which is visiting the world's most dangerous country Parentheses, Afghanistan 2022. Now, it's an hour and change long. It has 3 million views. It is it is not exploitative by definition. And I can't deny that it's not captivating footage. It is a person literally walking you through the process of how to visit Afghanistan in 2022. It is still, though, deeply uncomfortable. And all of the guys that do this, like, they make my skin crawl. But I... I like I sort of get why these videos do so well. Like bald and bankrupt videos are, you know, millions and millions of views. Whereas the Lord Miles guy, his are a little. He's a smaller channel. Lord Miles, Lord Miles does have some slightly. He is a little bit more unusual in that he is not a YouTuber by nature. He is a viral person. Like he's a person who lives outside of a. He's not working on a specific platform. He just like is trying to be viral and trying to do weird things. Like his most, the thing that he was doing in New York was that he was attempting. He was pretending to be homeless for like four days. He is, I think, a, there is a line between him and some of the other stuff. He's also oddly religious. Like oh, weird. Not in a way that it's odd to be religious, but his approach to things that his that he is doing all of this to like low-key promote christianity which is odd that is so crazy i did not know it, that it's not even just christianity he puts forth that he's catholic which i think is like a whole other like flag that you're waving if you put forth that you're catholic on the internet unless you're putting forth that you're catholic because you want to make friends easily at the union drive yeah i don't want to hear about it unless you're going to give me a giant tinfoil container of lasagna in like a knights <laughs> of columbus hall don't fucking talk to me about being catholic and if there's no raffle involved i don't want to hear about it that's that's how i feel do you know <laughs> fun fact i won a daredevil comic at a church raffle if you can think of something more catholic than going to a church in Boston and winning a Daredevil comic in a in a raffle, I, I I challenge you to be more Catholic than that. I mean, was the Pope there? No. Well, yeah, of course not. That's what makes it so Catholic. Anyways, so there's other guys in these networks, right? So this is one. This guy is called Britannica Politica, uh, and this video is titled "Tourism in Taliban-Controlled Afghanistan." Basically, from what I can gather on YouTube, Afghanistan is pretty much just full of British YouTubers at the moment. Like, like it's a mess. And then there's another guy I see all the time called Indigo Traveler. And this one's called Koch in Shooting in Haiti's Biggest Slum, parentheses, terrifying. I hate this shit. Yeah, no, these, I mean, this is where it's always kind of interesting to look at this, is that a lot of this stuff is, like, I'm with you on the kind of, like, I don't like this. But you also see channels like, what is that one that they're like, say yes to everything or or 
Uh, yes theory you're talking about. Yes theory. Yes theory. So yes theory did a video where they took it's it's, it's the, the the secret train. Basically, you can cross Mauritania. It's in Mauritania. But yeah, you can you can it's it's, it's Africa's like worst train, and you take it overnight. You sneak on, and it's like a coal train. It's basically an open box car, and you spend a few days in the desert on this like freezing nights on top of a pile of coal. Wow. Uh, but people, this is how people travel. Like not they're not supposed to, but they do it. But bald and bankrupt has done that. And he's kind of like been like, this is interesting. Yesterday he did the exact same journey, but they obviously frame it slightly differently. Like their frame for it is like, this is a wild adventure. And his frame is like, this is Africa's worst train, this is danger. And I do think it's really interesting that they're effectively doing the same thing. And that's kind of where those channels overlap. Like all of this stuff is like a, ben, a big, big Venn diagram of the things that one person will do and the other won't accept. But yeah, I think the Miles Routledge stuff is then kind of a step on beyond that where it gets kind of grim. And from the looks of it, I have not seen Indigo Traveler before, but it does also seem like, I mean, the, the term that I hate is always like like poverty porn, but it is kind right. of like grimness porn. Like, uh, you know, I I have done I have done non-YouTube coverage of, uh, of, of rough places. I have filmed inside of a, of a refugee camp that was on fire at the time, you know, and I have I have been to slums in different countries for reporting projects. I did a whole project on Rio de Janeiro's City of God once. So, like, yeah, yeah. when I watch these videos, I'm un I, I'm extremely uncomfortable because I don't. It just feels so much like poverty porn to a degree. I think bald and bankrupt's videos are more complicated because I think what he's getting is like genuinely kind of. I, I, it's impressive in a way. Like, I mean, it, just from a process standpoint, I hate his tone. I hate the the video he did where he like snuck into an abandoned Soviet spaceship silo and then like caused an international incident with Russia. And the whole time he's like, has like a young woman fixer that he's like flirting with. I find that's like, there's just like this type of YouTube entertainment that I feel like is always existing on the periphery of YouTube. And if you let your algorithm flip over too much, you're just going to get exposed to just like nasty attention grabbing shit. And this is like that for travel, if that makes sense. Okay. But then you kind of compare and you say, okay, Anthony Bourdain did some pretty wild things during his filming. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so is Anthony Bourdain eating right. warthog anus in an African village? better or worse than this it's better but why and then like there are chunks of this that are bad and chunks of this are nice and chunks that feel exploitative and I, I do think it's more complicated because i also think so much of it is tied up with 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 form rather than content no like i'm looking at a lord miles rutledge thumbnail where he's literally doing the like pointing behind you wojack face like the uh, face and it's called i joined a taliban parade in afghanistan look i i want to be clear the content minds is not pro Taliban, right? But at the same time, like, please stop going and filming shit in, in Taliban controlled Afghanistan. <laughs> like, I mean, like, stop using Taliban controlled territory for, for viral content. <laughs> I mean, I've also scrolled down bald and bankrupt stuff, and he has spent a fair amount of time in Chechnya, which is a choice. Yeah, his stuff makes you wonder, like, what he's not filming. Because a lot of yeah. it's like, all of it's a little weird. And I guess it's like ultimately just what you end up with when you don't have the standards and practices of TV production and you have the algorithmic requirements of going viral on YouTube. You just get like a dude sneaking into the Afghanistan and vlogging, you know? What you're saying is everyone needs an editor. You can go to, let's say, that train across Mauritania and you can do it in a bunch of different ways. One way is like 
this is a fascinating bit of insight into how the an unusual bit of the world works and one bit is like i am going to cause an international incident and offend everyone and like there's such a wide spectrum of how you can do this that i, I it becomes quite hard to like uh tie them up as a uh, as a unit but like i agree with miles ratledge yeah the guy's a reactionary piece of shit to be honest yeah i i just think that there's this weird, uh, like Star Trekian kind of like violating the Prime Directive feeling when like YouTubers come into a country and just like turn its various woes into content to be consumed in other developed countries. The whole thing is just yeah. very uncomfortable. And Lord Miles Rutledge is a pussy. That's my final thought. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> So, hey, Luke, do you know any, like, good accounts I could follow to get some tips on how to become a stay-at-home girlfriend? How to become or how to be? Because then there's two halves to this. I would like to be a stay-at-home girlfriend for someone wealthy. I want to foam up lattes and do laser masks or whatever the fuck. Okay, so enough bit. We're talking about, a, we're talking about two TikTok accounts. So I, 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 my, favorite, my favorite description of this is uh, from Boing Boing, actually, who <laughs> who called this account a gothic horror story. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I, went, I fell down this rabbit hole. And what's even funnier is that this isn't even the stay-at-home girlfriend that I was talking about. And in fact, we didn't figure this out. We might be talking about two different stay-at-home girlfriends. Who are you talking about? Okay, I'm talking about Kendall K. We're also talking about Kendall K. Okay. So apparently the one that Boing Boing was talking about is a different stay-at-home girlfriend called... Okay, so G. McGee is a pair, is a fake stay-at-home girlfriend. Yes. The real stay-at-home girlfriend is the one that I fell down the rabbit hole for a couple weeks ago, Kendall K. And she uh, is like a blonde lady who I thought lived in Miami. And she just makes beverages with a really long metal straw and does various skincare routines. Yeah. And I think I want to be her. So she actually lives in Puerto Rico. What? Hold on, wait, hold on. Let me tell you how I understand this first, and then you can tell me how I'm wrong, okay? Okay, so somehow, some way, I can't remember the original context, but Kendall K got dropped into, oh, I know exactly how. Someone screenshot Kendall K's video on put and put the screenshot on Tumblr and said that she's Patrick Bateman and that actually she's the Gen Z Patrick Bateman. And then I looked up her videos and I spent an entire day watching her videos and watching her sit in various chairs and 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 stir various drinks with a large metal straw and put on different hats and go to different Starbuckses and sit in pools or on the sides of pools and open up different shopping bags. And then I found her boyfriend who is like a hustle bro who does like he has like an account where he releases videos of himself talking about like being an entrepreneur. And that's as far as I got, because then I started looking at videos of other stay-at-home girlfriends, and then I kind of lost interest. So so what's actually happening here? Okay, so what is actually happening with the account is almost exactly as it sounds. She has a stay-at-home girlfriend whose <laughs> boyfriend has money of some description. The boyfriend, though, I find more interesting because here's a guy called Luke Lintz, and he has a company called Heike. Awesome. Uh, and Heike is... A lot of things. So I immediately the first version of it I came across was called High Key Agency, which is run by Luke Lintz and his brother Jordan Lintz. And they sell press packages. 
they saw, in fact, they saw six different press packages and their, their commitment is that they will get you in the press and that will make your brand successful. And the packages they sell are like high level full feature, 10 article domain authority package, five article domain authority package, crypto press package, that's $30,000. But if you, the crypto press package is $30,000. How much do you think the five article domain authority packages and the, the main authority packages, an initial interview via a questionnaire or phone interview, our editorial team writes five article drafts on five different topics. After your approval, we work on publishing the articles on top ranking publications that best suit your industry and are guaranteed to rank at the top of Google. How much do you think this is he's guys making from that? I don't know. Uh, you threw too many numbers at me. Tell me. This guy's making $7,500 to write five articles about a company and then write basically contributor articles at Forbes and USA Today. Do you think it's real? I mean, he's got so many photos of him posing in private jets and at various music festivals. I think that you could go to most crypto startups and say, give me $30,000 and I will write some articles and put them in the contributor sections of coindesk.com. And you would get $30,000 to do that. Well, I don't appreciate you suggesting that anything untoward could be happening with coindesk.com. But I will also say that this guy, I'm on his Instagram right now, he hangs out a lot with 6ix9ine, the rapper, who he does is a predator of some kind, I think. 6ix9ine's thing is... I know he's a snitch, but is he also a predator? I can't remember. Hold on. Well, he has asthma, according to Wikipedia. That's not good. Oh, felony count of use here. He pled, pled guilty to a felony count of use of a child in a sexual performance and had a four-year probation and a thousand-hour community service order. Right. He was then later arrested on racketeering and weapons charges, then pled guilty to conspiracy to commit murder and armed robbery. Right, uh, right. Okay, so he is a predator, and he also tried to kill somebody. Okay, so this guy hangs out with him a lot. I saw a video of them just eating dinner together in, like, his empty McMansion, which I thought was interesting. Well, this is where it gets really interesting, because he had a thing a few years ago where he spent a while trying to give away money and I'm basically he talked celebrities into genuine. I don't know. I don't know the quite right way to say it, but influencers were offering free money to their followers. We're talking about Luke Lintz. We're not talking about six nine, correct? We're not talking about six nine. We're talking about Luke Lintz. Okay, we've moved uh, on. Okay, great. And for what it's worth, the reason that I originally stumbled across this is because on their website they have a list of all of the places that they've managed to successfully place their own company. You know, so they've got all the different brand logos of places. One of them is New York Times. I was like, wow, they're in New York Times. And I clicked on New York Times. And it's a Taylor Renz post about how everyone is giving away money in exchange for followers. And I was like, I mean, that is technically press about you, but that's not quite what you're going for here. But the gist of it is, is that they say we will give away $20,000 to, to someone who follows this account. Or usually they seem to give them away. Sometimes they don't. But they're basically running these cash giveaways, then speak to major influencers like say well 6ix9ine has obviously been involved Lil Baby's been involved Da Baby's been involved other rappers who all the babies this. all the babies have been involved <laughs> and Kevin Hart was involved at one point like he gave away some money like a bunch of people and they basically go to them and they say we'll give you $50,000 to say oh, this company will give away $20,000 if you go follow them they get the followers and they think the followers are worth it which I don't know maybe they are I don't I don't know how but that is, that is one of their company's things. They have a social media growth company called Heike Clout. They have a branding agency called Heike Agency. They have a crypto and NFT consulting department called Heike Co. Uh, and this guy is like 22 and seems to be making like money hand over fist. I don't 
know how much of it I believe. I don't think that it's unlikely that he is making money, but he's also living in Puerto Rico, so I imagine his expenses are a little bit lower. I think that there's definitely a world where he probably made some crypto money and is parlaying that into Instagram money, you know, of some kind. I have always said that, you know, with crypto and with every other major boom, you don't want to be in crypto. You want to be selling the shovels. Like you want to be selling the tools to the crypto bros. That's what my dad says too. Right. Yeah. It's not it's not wrong though. Like don't invest in crypto. Invest in everyone who's trying to invest in crypto giving you a little bit of money. Right. I th- I think some of this stuff is real. I actually think the more the the most accurate depiction of his lifestyle is probably not his Instagram as much as the like boring and isolated and like mildly terrifying TikToks his stay-at-home girlfriend is posting of her absolute nightmare of a life, which is the, the the aesthetic thing that I'm always the most interested in with like rich internet children is how none of them know how to furnish a house. So they're always just sitting in like completely empty rooms talking into their cameras. It's it's downright chilling. It's like Black Mirror. This idea of being in your early 20s completely alone in like a giant McMansion in Puerto Rico as your like crypto millionaire boyfriend poses with like sex offender rappers <laughs> on instagram it's like it's just a nightmare and and your problem sorry your problem with this picture is the the, the the house decor no there's just a general aesthetic of like solid color athleisure clothing and minimally decorated large houses and they're always just on trips to like do like basic ass suburban shit like go sit at mcdonald's or or, like starbucks there's just like this total lack of culture and identity and this like like rabid expression of wealth it's just really bizarre and i'm i'm haunted by it and i i I love watching videos of it i feel like it's it's the most basic version of the cyber dystopias that we got presented with 20 years ago except all those had good art directors and like the current version of it is just what actual basic boring ass people would do they don't go to like the cool avant-garde club to get their like future drink they go to starbucks to get a pumpkin spice latte that's because that's because the the only way you can express wealth and status right now is by not doing things but you also have to be relatable while being wealthy so that like people will watch your content but i'm watching i don't think she's trying, she's trying to relatable i think she is just like people are watching and being like wow you don't do anything this is great <laughs> i watch a video i'm watching a video right now of her like lip syncing and kind of dancing in a bad way to a song in a completely empty room with a chandelier on the ceiling and it is more or less the same from that scene at the end of blade runner where like the female replicant is like dancing in an abandoned building you know that like haunting like where she finds like the 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 toy maker and she's just in this like this like post apocalyptic wasteland it's like something out of like a samuel beckett play this idea of like like a, a lone influencer silently lip syncing in an empty room it's just like very it's haunting i can't i can't stop watching it the fact that her face looks like every other influencer's face based on the makeup and contouring she's doing it's just it's all just yeah. It's grotesque and, and 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 deeply fascinating. Would you like to do it? I would love to be a lonely baby doll in an empty McMansion on TikTok. Yeah, I would love to be that. My other favorite thing <laughs> is that all of her clothes are always like sheen and yes. fashion over and stuff. And it's like, how do you not doing anything for your entire life? Also, all you're buying is fashion over and sheen. 
just like wearing like algorithmically generated rag clothing and just rolling around in an empty room while like millions of internet strangers say mean things about me in the comments. It's like a Werner Herzog documentary. This account is, you can understand why I spend so many hours going down this rabbit hole because it is, and there's a lot of girls like her right now because they're all using now the hashtag stay at home girlfriend. And there's nothing wrong with being a stay at home girlfriend. I'm talking more about the uh, deeply crushing isolation and loneliness of living with a guy who makes money in crypto. That's that's my focus. I don't I don't know if he makes money in crypto. I don't know where he makes money. That's the whole point. Well, he makes enough money that they're, on my account, at least going to one music festival a, a, a month in various different biomes. Like they're at a music festival in the woods, and then they're at a music festival near a beach. So they're they're traveling quite a bit to these different music festivals at the very least. Yeah. What do you guys think about the way that this occurred to me that I came upon this was in all the parodies of it? What do you think about like this as fodder for less basic internet users to then make fun of and point out the absurdity of it? Well, I mean, Luke can back me up on this, but like there's there's essentially nothing more viral than a young white woman doing or saying anything on the internet because people are just going to attack her. Like it's an entire genre of internet content is like a white woman being yelled at in public by a man or falling down or being made fun of or like yeah. that it's been that way since like 2010 at this point. And I also think that people want to watch rich people do things, but also in the back of their head want to cut their heads off with a guillotine. So this account is kind of fulfilling both urges. You want to attack the rich people for being richer than you. And you also are just like captivated by viral content involving young white women. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I, like, <laughs> I mean, the, the parodies are, I think, speaking to the, the, the yeah, the, what Ryan said, the, the emptiness of it. But equally, you know, it's really hard to be like, no, no, your life sucks. I was like, no, obviously it doesn't. It seems good. It seems nice. You want to, would you want to be a stay-at-home girlfriend? Would I, would I like to do nothing all day? And like my main <laughs> thought to be like, what do I put in my smoothie this morning? Yeah, I would actually. That would be great. I would like <laughs> to, I would like to be... A very well-groomed house cat for some like, like complete doofus on Instagram. Yeah, I would like that. Yeah, exactly. So the the parodies of them, I think, are inevitable, but not. They're inevitable. They're fair, but also like, do you? Would the person involved care? Nah, probably not. So it's probably not very effective. I wouldn't care. I would say, dance for me, my puppets. Yes, <laughs> direct your rage and attention to me. That way, I can get a better brand deal for. See, I'm not even rich enough to know what kind of brand deals these people are getting. What is she advertising? I was just go Hermes because it's somebody at some point taught me that it wasn't Hermes and it was Hermes. And so that's what I always go to. <laughs> oh, Hermes. Yeah. I, I honestly really like her laser mask. She wears this like, and no one can see what I'm looking at right now, but she wears this like, okay, you know, you know, Captain Phantasma from the Star Wars sequels. Yeah. Yeah. She wears it like a mask like that. But it has like pink lights that come out of the the back of it onto her face. That, to be fair, is the that's the exact thing that Patrick Bateman would wear if 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 American Psycho happened now. Yeah, I want the metal laser mask. That's what I would like. Hey, Luke. Have you consumed any content to stay sane this week? I mean, we've finally finished House of the Dragon, so... We have finally finished House of the Dragon. Uh, we're going to be talking 
We're going to be talking about the last two episodes, uh, which you can listen to at thecontentminds.com. You can sign up for paid bonus content. I also want to apologize to the listener that I called out last week. I may have not read his email correctly, and he emailed me again. (laughs) So I gifted him a free subscription. Uh, I was a little all over the place last week with jet lag after flying to Sweden, and I, I was a little aggressive, and I apologized to him privately. Luke, for our listeners who don't want to pay us money for our content, how would you rate the final two episodes of Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, on a scale of one to five? Four and five, I think. Four out of five? Yeah, Four I would five. too. Luke, Alan, how do you feel about the final two episodes? Uh, fives across the board. Me too. Left nothing on the table. Delightful. I was a little let down by the showrunner statement that came out saying, like, there'll be more blood and war in the next season. I was like, I hope not, because I was so tense for the final two episodes that, like, I could have made a diamond in my butt crack. I was <laughs> I was on the edge of my seat. I was so tense. And I want that because like that's when Game of Thrones is good when you're like any single person on camera could die so horribly right now and anything's game. That's the fun of the show for me. Yeah, I don't have that because obviously I've seen it or I've read the book that it's based on, but I agree in principle, <laughs> I guess. Ryan, have you consumed any content other than Game of Thrones to stay sane this week? Uh, this week. Oh. I finally made my way through the most recent season of what we do in the shadows and also the bear because I got a Hulu subscription again and the bear is um, fantastic. I'm not going to waste time on our bonus episode talking about it. So I'll I'll leave my theory here, which is that I also I also have not watched the bear yet. And I do want to talk about when I have watched it. So, yeah, well, here's my theory. It's reverse scrubs. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's do it. Let's 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 leave it at that. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. If anyone wants to hear more about what I mean by that, you can DM me on Discord or on Twitter, and I will I will happily explain to you what that means. Also, in the coming in the coming weeks, we will do one of these for Black Adam as well. Oh yeah, somebody on the Discord asked if you were going to do a post post credit scene about Black Adam, and I said I would ask. We have to. Uh, we have to do Black Adam. We have to do Black Panther. We have to do Andor. There's so much goddamn fandom entertainment right now. It's exhausting. All right. So we're going to go over to our bonus episode, which once again, you can find at thecontentminds.com. Subscribe. It helps keep the show running. Thank you so much for those of you who do. I would say come to our London show, but it accidentally sold out, uh, which I was not expecting. So we are totally sold out. Those of you who have messaged me about tickets, I will do my best to try to see what we can do, but we've never worked with this venue before and we were not expecting it to sell out this quick. So we are trying to figure out what that means. But once again, shoot me a Discord, a Twitter DM. We'll see what we can do. Um, I know people are coming from long distances and we're trying to make it work. Uh, but yeah, we were not expecting this. I guess we're just really popular now. So uh, nothing we can do. Uh, thank you, Alan, for editing this week's show and providing the lovely soundscapes that are hitting your ear holes at the moment. Oh, Alan, have you done any weird Nordic shit recently? <laughs> um, not Nordic shit, but I started reading a book about the history of building materials, and my wife made fun of me a lot for it. But it's actually really good. Oh, that's good. It's like the history of building materials starting from like clay in the early Stone Age all the way up through silicon chips now and how that's influenced the development of society. That's, that sounds like a good thing to read. That sounds pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I would like to read that, too. It's written by a, a materials professor from Cornell, though. So like he gets into the very nitty gritty of the material science. So he's talking about molecular structure a lot, too, which appeals to the nerd part of me. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, dude. That goes hard as hell. <laughs> I don't remember what it's called, but if you if you Google for it, you'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah, dude. The fucking rips. Yeah, let's get into the nitty gritty of material building. Let's fucking go. <laughs> We will see you guys next week. Goodbye.